0: She's the author of Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today?
1: Well, today our show is about searching for common ground. Isn't that wonderful? And we have a fabulous guest who actually is the president and founder of Search for Common Ground. We're going to tell you a little, a lot more about that. But let me tell you about this wonderful guest. John Marks is the president and founder of Search for Common Ground, which is a nonprofit conflict resolution organization with offices in 25 countries. He also founded and heads Common Ground Productions. Now, he wrote and produced The Shape of the Future, which is a four-part TV documentary series that was simulcast on Israeli, Palestinian, and Arab satellite TV. And he is executive producer of the Team 4 and radio series in 17 countries and numerous other TV and radio programs. Now, he, along with his wife, Susan Colin Marks, are uh, Skoll Fellow, Fellows in Social Entrepreneurship. He is a former U.S. Foreign Service officer and executive assistant to the late U.S. Senator Clifford Case. He's a graduate of Cornell University and a recipient of an honorary doctorate from UN, the U.N.'s University for Peace, And he was a fellow at Harvard's Institute of Politics and a visiting scholar at Harvard Law School. And he's a best-selling author, and he is wonderful. And you can learn more about him at our website at conflicthealing.com, where you're going to see his picture, his bio. And we link to his URL, which is sfcg.org, and that stands for Search for common ground. Um, search for common ground, and there he is, John. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Well, it's my pleasure.
1: So I have to ask you first: uh, Where can we see this documentary, "The Shape of the Future"? Can we order it from your website?
0: You can indeed. It's um, it, it, it's on DVD, and um, and we have excerpts of it on uh, on our YouTube channel, so you can see parts of it, or you can order the whole thing from our website.
1: Right. So are you working on another documentary right now? Anything going that's um, coming up?
0: Well, we're not doing documentary at this point because we find that a way... I do television and radio in order to change attitudes and behavior. And we find that drama, fiction, soap opera is, let us say, a more effective way than doing documentaries, even though I loved having done that four-part series in, in Israel and Palestine. Mm-hmm. And so we are producing in 17 different countries um, multi-episode series, uh, which you mentioned, called The Team, and that's pretty much our television and radio output right now.
1: So is that also in the United States? Are we able to see these ourselves here?
0: Um we produce locally, uh, local versions of our shows. So our Kenyan show is really, uh, is um, rooted in Kenya. And we think you can't do this kind of production from 5,000 miles away. In other words, we're not taking, looking to take American values or Hollywood to the world. We're trying to take Kenyan values and make them, let's just say, nonviolent and non-adversarial. But the short answer is Link TV, which is a San Francisco-based um, satellite channel, does carry our Kenyan series. Mm. And some of these things are available inside the United States, but our primary market is around the world.
1: And how about in the United States? We have plenty of conflict here, too. I'm thinking of you know, the racial conflict that, that goes on and, and the different gangs and all of these different things that are going on here. Do you guys do anything with that as well?
0: I'd love to be doing much more in the United States. Uh, right now, we'd like to be working 50% in the United States and 50% around the world. Um, unfortunately, there has we've never been able to find substantial funding inside the United States for this kind of work. Mm. Um, this is a very polarized society, and uh, people with uh, uh, funding capability usually want you to be Pro one side or pro one uh, the other, oh. and the idea that you could raise large amounts of money to find common ground is one that we at least have had a lot of trouble with.
1: Ah, so that's something we have to get creative about and help you to do that. So yeah. let's let's
0: let's talk uh, a little most bit. Most of our funding comes from foreign aid agencies, uh, the U.S. and the European. The European Union is our biggest funder. We get a lot of funding from the British government, the Swedish government, the Norwegian government. And unfortunately, uh, no foreign aid agency will fund inside the United States.
1: Interesting. So why do you think that is, that they will fund it, that they have, obviously, they have that as a, as a high value for them? Why do you think that is, and we don't have that here?
0: Well, mostly people in Western Europe and the United States are interested in, in preventing violence around the world. Right. So it's a foreign policy priority that there not be genocide in country X, or that a country solve its country, its problems peacefully. Hmm. But they don't have any mandate to work inside the United States. I
1: see.
0: Um, so it's it's just a different if it's a different situation, mm-hmm. and we have found a way to uh, you know to grow considerably as a conflict transformation, conflict resolution organization by. Use finding these sources of funding, but there's no domestic equivalent that I've ever been able to find.
1: Interesting. So, tell us a little bit, you know, about the history. I mean, you've you know, the search for common ground has grown into basically the largest conflict resolution, conflict transformation organization in the world. So, can you kind of go backwards and tell us a little bit about the history?
0: Sure. I founded it 29 years ago. Um, I had. One colleague, so there were two of us, and we've grown now to 425 employees, and I believe they call this social entrepreneurship. Hmm. In other words, what we've done is we've taken the ideas of mediation, of uh, win-win problem-solving, non-adversarial behavior, and found ways to apply them across whole countries, where most of the field does a one-on-one kind of mediation. We do societal mediation.
1: Right. And and different cultures have different approaches as well, right? And their mores are a little bit different. So what what I might do as a mediator in this country or with certain cultures in this country, I might do differently as a mediator in another country or in with another culture, different kinds of, of respect for different cultural mores. Is that correct?
0: That's absolutely correct. Uh, one of the problems is that you find that Many people who mediate in one culture don't have a sense of other cultures. Right. And it's not a one, as you've just pointed out, it's not a one-to-one transfer. In other words, you can't do a workshop in the style of uh, Northern California in um, many countries in Africa. It needs to be something that's different. Right. And um, so most of the people who work for us are from the countries where they work and uh, where they live. And they're native to those places, and we do have some expatriates, but most of the people need to be steeped in the culture where they're working to be effective.
1: And there, and then do you do training, or does your organization train those people, or do they get trained in their own country and then come to you? How is it that they're trained?
0: We, we mostly train by um, um, practical experience. I mean, every once in a while we'll do a training course in a specific area, um, um, area. But um, we, we pretty much apply the principles that you would apply here. We cross-culturally apply them and work with our own staff so they do it better. We're not a training organization, though we do do some training.
1: Yeah, I know. I remember one time I was um, mediating recently with two Chinese business people and had, you know, the I had to have interpreters and everything. And I did a lot of research before that mediation. And I made sure that I wore red. (laughs) I did also... I gave them little gifts when they came. And they, they were in little red boxes. I mean, I had... Everything. And and it settled. It was it was really wonderful. (laughs) It really did settle and they were happy. But um, I I had to do a lot of research really to understand and do everything I could to make it comfortable for them. And they they seemed to really appreciate it. But that was something that was uh, new for me because I had done other cultures, but I had never really done two Chinese businessmen. Mm -hmm. And so I can I can see where having the cultural understanding um, is so important. So yep. that, that you don't make faux pas and you don't hurt somebody's feelings or you don't do something that's awkward for them.
0: So, that's absolutely correct.
1: Yeah. So how, how you know, you, since you said you've doing this for 29 years, how has the mission changed or evolved?
0: Well, a couple of things have happened. Every, you know, every couple of years you learn something new or every once in a while. And so we're able to do things that are much more sophisticated and complicated at this point. Um, When we started, we really only had the basic tools of of, uh, mediation, facilitation, training, and the like. And over the years, though being totally true to the original vision, which was to transform the world from an adversarial to a non-adversarial place, we now do television production, we use sports, uh, we use community organizing, we work with women, um, we, have a, we do music videos, and all of these are very much in the spirit we started with over 29 years, except we never knew how to do this stuff before. Mm. Um, so that's one of the advantages of getting older and, and learning. And, um, and we have a motto, which I take from Napoleon, when he said, and I'll start it in French, puis which means one becomes engaged and then you see where you're going or you see the possibilities.
1: Right, right. And that's <laughs> to the way immersed. we've
0: operated over the years. Yeah. We've built on what we've done. We borrow a little from this place. We take a little from um, column A and a little from column B. And staying true to the original vision, which is key. I mean, we wouldn't want to drop that in any way we're able to expand into new kinds of things. And the opportunities arise as you get better and better at what you're doing and more experienced at what you're doing.
1: Yeah, You know, it makes so much sense to me what you're saying. And, you know, I've been saying for a long time that I think the media is really the the way to go when you're talking about TV and radio. And this is why I started my radio show, because I felt it was so important to bring this out to people when they're driving or just, you know, start to know this kind of stuff that they don't know, really. Mm -hmm. And and so that's kind of like my passion and and doing this kind of work here. But it makes sense to me that we do it in TV. We do it on, you know, your idea of doing these little vignettes on, um, on YouTube as well are fantastic. Because that is so, I mean, you have to keep up with the technology, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. We reach now tens of millions of people with the kind of work that we're doing. And I don't have any illusions that watching a television show or a television series is going to change things immediately. But over the long run, you really can have an impact. Uh, I'm thinking of the example, for example, of um, All in the Family. Remember Archie Bunker? Yeah, exactly. Which I think changed the attitudes of millions of Americans towards bigotry. It became uncool to be a bigot.
1: Exactly.
0: And um, we do that kind of thing. I mean, in in Kenya, we're we're consistently in the top ten. Rated shows. We've done 39 episodes of this thing. Wow. And, and it's, uh, repetition is very important. In other words, you need to have the characters appear and reappear. We have soap operas that have been over 2,000 episodes in radio soap operas.
1: Now, this is all in the native language of the people? Always. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. No, I, there's no point doing it in, right. in English unless in Kenya there's English in mm. there, but it's a mix of English and Swahili. However, the people talk in the country. <laughs> right. In Kenya, they mix the two languages. In Zimbabwe, we have about three languages mixed in there. Um, wow. But it has to be in the language, which is the popularly understood language. We don't do English broadcasting right. unless, unless it's a place which calls for it.
1: Right. And then for the ones that air in, in San Francisco, you have the English subtitles. Is that what you have or no? Well, um.
0: They run the, um, um, that's Link TV, they run the Kenyan show and subtitle the Swahili. Okay. <laughs> it's mostly English and then a little bit of Swahili.
1: Oh, interesting. Huh. So what, is there anything that's gotten more difficult? You know, you've got all this new technology, you've got all this excitement, you've, you've learned so much, but is there anything that became more difficult in these 29 years?
0: Uh, well, the management part. Uh, I used to love it when there were... Three or five employees, and you did everything <laughs> off the seat of your pants, and you didn't have to have an administrative structure and bureaucracy and all those kinds of stuff. And now it's absolutely necessary that you have such things, but it, it makes it more difficult to be creative as you get bigger and bigger.
1: Yeah, yeah. You've got to have your hands on everything. Yeah, it's hard. That's yeah. right. Yeah.
0: And, and, well, I, you know, I used to know 100%. Now I know a very small percentage of what's going on.
1: Right. But you have now inspired all these people and that's why it's grown more and more. That's right. Now, do you ever interface with any of the like, you know, the mediation um, and, you know, uh, Association for Conflict Resolution? Do you ever really collaborate with all of us that are doing this kind of work at our at at a, you know, at a lower level without being international? Do you ever do that kind of thing?
0: Well, we, we might have a training, or sometimes we'll have somebody come and do some facilitation for us. The, tr- the thing is that we become so much our own thing, um, and we're working on a scale which most people in the conflict resolution um, um, field are not comfortable with. In other words, most people in the field work as sole practitioners on, 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 on finite problems, and we think you need to engage over a long period of time. So you know we've been working in Burundi now for fifteen years, wow. and things have changed considerably and we've made a real um, um contribution to that, but most people in the field in the United States are not willing to do long term engagement mm. they they you know they work on a problem and they do good work it's not it's not being a criticism right right. But it's a different way of working. We hire people by the year, not by the day or the hour.
1: Right, right, right. No, no, I understand that. I just wondered if you were collaborating with them so that they can help get this, you know, this whole approach that you're using into the United States for these gang problems, for these, uh, you know, law enforcement versus, you know, the, the kind of conflict that we have, you know, that we've had here where, you know— We've got law enforcement killing people who are homeless. You know, I mean, yeah. there's we got major problems in this country too. Believe it. Yeah, which you oh, know, absolutely. I mean, you know, it just seems to me that somehow there it would be nice to kind of collaborate to some extent with what you're doing and bringing that idea into our our cities, our communities, where we need this just as badly as anywhere else. No,
0: I completely agree with your premise, but. We've not been very, so successful in getting set up in this country. We, do, we work on race issues here. Um, we've worked on issues of um, um, uh, faith-based versus community-based um, organizations. Right. Um, we had a, um, a project which was called the Network for Life and Choice, mm-hmm. which brought together um, people who were pro-choice and pro-life. Mm -hmm. And there was no agreement, clearly, on the core issue of abortion or not abortion, but there was a lot of things they could agree on. For example, preventing unwanted pregnancies.
1: Right, right, right.
0: And, um, but let's just say, it's the one project we ever had which we weren't able to continue because of a lack of funding. Oh, yeah. In other words, the funders wanted you to go one way or the other, and they didn't think the common ground was such a great idea.
1: Right. Yeah, I just think having more, like, PBS shows or... It doesn't even have to be a documentary even having another show like you were talking about, you know, with Archie Bunker. We need to have more of those kinds of shows now here for people to see the difference. And, you know, the gay bashing that goes on and these kids that commit suicide. I mean, we've got some real problems with with bullying and there is just so much that needs to be done in our own society. That's and you're doing such incredible work. It's just how can we help you to bring it home as well Is what I'm thinking.
0: Well, um, I would love to do what you're suggesting, and we would try to be i I'm, I'm you know I'm normally in washington I'm in l a as we speak, and I've been having conversations for the last two days on the very subject you're talking about, but it let's just say it's a hard nut to crack yes and if there's somebody out there who's a showrunner or a producer, we have some some um, we have some formats and some programs that have worked very well and could work very well in the United States.
1: Well, you know what? I'm going to talk to you offline about that because I have some ideas for you. But let's go back to what these people want to hear about. Um, Tell me something. What are the main challenges then right now facing Common Ground and peace building community today? What are those main challenges?
0: Well, I think one the cha- uh, challenge is a lack of resources. Yeah. Uh, there's not a foundation in the United States which in a major way funds the kind of work that we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Hewlett used to do that, but they closed their program about four years ago. And uh, we get funding f- to work on a specific area, the Middle East or an African country, so we get funding. But nobody funds our vision, and mm-hmm. nobody funds our field. And most of the conflict resolution field um, exists on uh, fee-for-services. And that's not sustainable as far as I can see for large-scale social problems. Right. And I work on large-scale social problems.
1: Right. And I'm just wondering what kind of commercial entities would would sponsor the kinds of shows that you're talking about, like the radio shows or the TV shows. It's hard to get sponsors to, to get on board with that?
0: Well, it. we've never... W- Nestle uh, sponsored a series we did in in um, um, Nigeria, and they saw it as a chance to do good and do well to, at the same time to their credit but Nigeria is one of the few places we work which has actually a market mm. <laughs> you know, in a place like Burundi or, or congo it 's not financially viable, so you have to have somebody as a sponsor who would you know who just wants to change the world and get favorable attention to themselves and the like. Right, right. Well, that's why I'm thinking
1: in the United States. I guess I wasn't thinking of um, Nairobi or whatever. I was thinking in the United States, if you had a radio show, that it doesn't have to be on PBS, no one will sponsor you. But who would be a sponsor, a commercial sponsor, that wants to do good here, you know? I mean... If Bank of America wants to look better in the eyes of, uh, of the country, you know, maybe they would want to do it. That's, that's kind of like what I was thinking about.
0: Well, if you can find such people, I, you know, I have a lot of good things that we could do together.
1: Okay, well, we'll talk about that. So how about, um, tell us, what are you really most excited about in terms of the, the greatest accomplishments that you guys have made?
0: Hmm. Uh, I, I would cite two. The first one is before Jordan and Israel had their um, peace agreement, which is about 15 years ago, we brought together uh, former generals from both countries, high-level military people, and they worked out the details of the the eventual agreement. They got it about 75% right, and it got to the top levels to the prime minister of Israel and the king of Jordan within hours. And so... I think we contributed to that. Um, most recently, um, a retired ambassador who works for us, named William Miller, um, uh, was the prime negotiator in the return of the hikers
1: mm. um,
0: who were in prison in Iran, and that that was kind of cool. I mean, we were very happy with how that turned out.
1: Well, why and, don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's that's really pretty recent, and everybody saw it on TV and in the ra you know, heard about it in the radio. So. Just can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Well, we've been working to try to improve relations between the United States and Iran for the last 15 years. And um, we operate by what I would call the Woody Allen principle, <laughs> which is from that 80% of success is showing up. And we've been showing up for 15 years <laughs> and have pretty good contacts. And because relations between the governments are so bad... It opens up a lot of space for people like us who are unofficial. And uh, there's, as I mentioned, I have a, there's a former U.S. ambassador named Bill Miller who does this work. He's totally committed. He, you know, he he speaks Farsi, and he's a you know he's a lovely, wonderful person. And when the hikers got captured, and I can talk about it now, it was a huge secret till about six weeks ago, when the hikers w- went to jail their mothers contacted Bill, yeah. uh, Ambassador Miller, and um, he started to work, you know, with frequent meetings and the like, going back and forth. In the end, and there were other, many other people involved in this, but in the end, we uh, sent uh, Cardinal uh, Theodore McCarrick, who had been the Cardinal of Washington, the Catholic Cardinal, and Bishop John Chain, who had been the Episcopal Bishop of Washington, to Iran, it was, it was arranged with the Iranian officials. They wanted to do it on a religious level because just that they thought was a pretty good level to do it, and we thought that was a pretty cool, too. Yeah, yeah. So um, they went and they met with President Ahmadinejad, and in the end, uh, the hikers got freed, and that was good. It was, uh, you know, it's that kind of moment you live for when you do what I do.
1: Oh, my God, of course it is. And what a blessing that was. What yeah. a blessing that was. So, you know, I was going to ask you, I mean, this, you know, when I look about this and I'm, you know, I consider myself a spiritual person and get very involved in spiritual things, I think that, you know, that is a, a good way to go about things is to kind of look to maybe spiritual organizations that would be supportive of you have, that has been something that you've been doing or no?
0: Well, we're not, you know, we're non-sectarian, but right. let's just say all of us have a kind of a, a, a spiritual side, a big time. Yeah. It's what we're, we're doing is we're reflecting an inner way of being and, Finding ways to apply it in the world. I like to call myself an applied visionary, right. a pure visionary.
1: I love it. I love uh, it.
0: And how you act in an applied way is our key. In other words, we need to be able to communicate with the whole world.
1: Yes. Um,
0: and and this, at the same time, reflect the, the spiritual values and the like.
1: Right. Um, well, we we are out of time, but I want to thank you so much, John, not only for this wonderful interview, John Marks, who is the president and founder of Search for Common Ground, but also for the great work that you're doing in the world. Oh, my goodness. I honor you. My my heart goes out to you to support all the great work that you're doing. And I just want you to give your website so people can learn more and maybe get involved as well.
0: Sure. It's www.sfcg for search for common ground, www.sfcg.org.
1: Well, you're doing wonderful work, and, and we will talk offline. And I thank you very much for the work that you do. And we'll have you back again. You just let me know when you got some other new and exciting things that we can talk about, all right?
0: Okay, I will. Thanks okay. so much. Okay,
1: you've been listening to KUCI. FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm the host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. And you just heard us speak with John Marks, the president and founder of Search for Common Ground. Please join us every week at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI. And also visit us at our website at conflicthealing.com. There you can see our upcoming guests You can also see our previous guests and listen to archived interviews and download podcasts. We want to just let you know that we are supporting you in your quest for peace and peaceful resolution in your life. And let us know, send us emails about what's important to you about healing conflict in your own life and how we can help you. So thank you. Bye bye.